everybody. Welcome to episode 162 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. And this episode brings you a special treat as I'm going to be covering the first two-part story of the Ilya Salkheim produced Superboy TV series. This will be episodes 13 and 14 of season one, Revenge of the Alien, part one and part two. I would be remiss to uh, not mention that the alien referred to is the same alien from the Alien Solution, which I discussed a few weeks back, written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer, and you're going to see a nice little bit of continuity between the episodes that Carlin and Helfer did, as you will see elements from all of the episodes that they've done to this point kind of pay off in this two-parter. But before we get to the episode at hand, there is feedback to address. The uh, first bit of feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 151, the uh, first episode in which I discussed the Superboy TV series. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I have to say that while I think the early episodes of Superboy weren't the best, in fact, the plot often seemed reminiscent of some formulaic show from the 50s, I was a regular viewer of the show. In those days, we didn't have the cornucopia of superhero shows that we have today, and in the comics, the character of Superboy, a longtime favorite of mine, had been erased from continuity. Even with that, I was well aware of the lesser production values, and some of the acting seemed to me to have a good bit of room for improvement. The show did improve in many ways as it got into the later seasons, though, which certainly pleased me. Scott Wells as Lex Luthor really didn't fit my idea of Lex Luthor, since he seemed sometimes to be an odd mix of evil antagonist and comic relief, and that never worked for me. Stacey Heideck certainly looked the part of Lana Lang, but this version of Lana didn't quite match either the Silver Bronze Age Lana or the one in the current post-crisis comics continuity, and I found her acting in the early days to be a bit weak, although I think she grew into the role as time went on. Overall, I enjoyed this series, especially as it continued, with generally better writing and acting in later seasons, and I look forward to hearing your take on it. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in, and uh, it is uh, no secret that this show did improve greatly. From what I'm told, starting in Season 2, if I've seen any Season 2 episodes, they were few and far between when I was watching the show in first run. I think I caught up with this show... Believe it or not, my grandmother, who lived in the basement, was watching it, and I kind of found it through her. My mother's mother, she would just kind of uh, put Channel 9 on. At least I think it was Channel 9, WWOR at the caucus, and just kind of play a whole bunch of syndicated stuff on on Saturdays. And that was how I found things like Renegade, Highlander the series, Time Tracks in the 90s. But, and it was probably around. 1990 or so when I caught up with this show in season three. Most of the episodes that I remember and look back fondly on are from seasons three and four. I had never really seen any of the John, John Hames Newton Superboy until I started covering this show. And and we're just going to have to see how much of season two I remember because really all the Superboy episodes that I remember he was working at the or interning or, or whatever the case may be at the Bureau of Extranormal Matters. And we're not going to counter that until season three. And then after that, there's very little of a Schuster University uh, beyond that. So yeah, it doesn't really match any uh, comics continuity. This show doesn't. I think it's supposed to make you feel connected in a way to the Christopher Reeve era, but it's not really a part of that either. It It is its own thing, and it really shouldn't be expected to match up with any uh, previous uh, continuity. But no, Lana did not match, and... Uh, yeah, and Stacey Heideck may have been a bit weak, but I do have some fond memories of her in the show uh, later on. But I will say, eventually we're going to see the constant quest to 
discover Clark being Superboy. That is a very, uh, that's definitely a thing a lot of like did in the comics quite a bit. And let's call a spade a spade. At this point, the uh, Salkinds only had rights to Superboy, so I always consider this character a little old to be called Superboy. But it's really more young Superman than anything else, but, you know, it is what it is. I promise things will get better as it goes on, but we're just going to have to kind of muddle through these weak episodes before we get to the good stuff. Which, ironically, is the complete opposite of Lois and Clark, which started strong, but what the crap as you move through the series. So, anyway. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. I have uh, one more letter to, to read here. This is from Jeffrey Arnold. His subject is The Jewel of Techacal slash Adventures of Superman Recall. Jeffrey writes, Hello, Mike. I've been looking forward to your coverage of the Superboy series, which, even though I'm, I've been a lifelong Superman fan, for a myriad of reasons, I was never able to watch back in the late 80s when it popped up. I have just recently acquired the series, and so happen to be viewing them at the same time you are. I've always heard that it picks up steam as it moves along, and Man, oh man, I hope it's the truth. The music is stunningly inappropriate, and I was a teenager in the late 80s, so you know it's bad. I'm sure they had a minuscule budget, as reflected in the flying scenes. But for God's sake, even the super cheap but beloved Adventures of Superman had real instruments playing. The guy playing Lex, I'm glad you didn't let him slip by. Bad dialogue, bad performance of said bad dialogue. And I keep finding myself wishing that he'd already had that accident in his shed so that Superboy could use his super breath to put out the fire and get rid of that greasy hair. As far as the story goes, I can't help but take note of the similarity between what Lana and her father had going on and the situation between Abner and Marion Ravenwood, with Superboy as the Indy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can almost hear the story meeting. The plot involves a cursed artifact. Why, yeah, so her father retrieved it from the jungle somewhere, kind of like Indiana Jones. Wait, he could be Lana's father, and she could be Marion. Uh-huh. Anyone who watched the Death of Superman Lives documentary just knows how insane movie and TV producers are. Oh, and during your recounting of the rescue scene when Superboy pulls the landing gear out, you mentioned an episode of Adventures of Superman when Supes grabs a plane and steered it down to a landing. I believe the episode you're referring to is Superman in Exile. Also, Superman straddles the tail end of the fuselage of a jet in the episode Jet Ace. But with all the stuff kind of off with this first episode, still Superboy's takeoffs are surprising graceful, and I remain optimistic. And Newton's Superboy portrayal isn't noticeably a problem, so I'm intrigued as to what happened. Thanks for your coverage and look forward to further adventures. Jeff Arnold. P.S. Superman at any age living in Florida? Just not right. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, him living in Florida is definitely not right in any uh, way, shape, form, or fashion. So uh, thank you, Jeffrey, for writing in. Uh, yeah, the music is... You know, the music of, in the opening theme was kind of uh, less than about it, the better, I guess. The, uh, the beginning of it starts off promising, but then it kind of moves into that 80s... Uh, synth music and well you know cheap was the name of the game especially in this first season and yes uh scott wells is awful as lex luthor i do not like his portrayal at all and i don't know jeffrey how much you know about the show but there is some recasting between seasons one and two almost the entire main cast is jettison is except for stacy Hyda. john ames newton will be recast as superboy with gerard christopher T.J. White will be completely written off, and Clark will have a new roommate, Andy McAllister, and we're going to also get a new Lex Luthor, so Sherman Howard, and he does a really good job playing uh, playing Luthor. And uh, yeah, I probably didn't dawn on me while I was watching the episode the uh, similarities between uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and the plot of uh, the Tetrachal episode, aside from the fact that in this case, uh, the Abner character is alive. 
And uh, yes, thank you, Jeff, for I was I probably wondered what forgot what episode it was when I did the recording, but yes, I do remember now that it is Superman in Exile, where uh, Superman steers the plane to the ground, and you see a great shot of him beneath the plane. The one in Jet Ace is good as well, but the one I was referring to was definitely Superman in Exile, black and white. I'm pretty sure Jet Ace was a color episode. So I do promise you, Jeff, this that should the show does get better as it goes forward. So bear with us through uh, the first season; it's kind of rough, but our your patience will be uh, rewarded in seasons two, three, and four. Well, I can't really speak as much for two because I haven't. I'm not sure what I've seen in season two, but it gets better in season three and four, and I'm gonna have a lot more positive things to say when we get to that point. So thank you, Jeff, for writing in. Anyone else have any comments? Manascreen at gmail.com. So right now, I'm going to take a podcast promo break. And when I come back, Revenge of the Alien, part one. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start things off with Revenge of the Alien, Part 1. Original broadcast date was February 4th, 1989. This was directed by David Grossman. This episode was written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast included Chuck Bernhardt as the policeman, George Shakiris as Professor Peterson, Andrew Heller as the announcer, Alan Jordan as Williams, Mark McCauley as the crook, Dana Mark as Dean Lockhart, Dennis Michael as Henry, Roger Preto as Lieutenant Harris, Glenn Schreer as Johnson, Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, and Tanya Roberts as the college student. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. We open in the lab where Clark stored the fire extinguisher containing the cloud that is the alien in a cryogenic freezer. There is a burglar on the premises and he begins stealing various vials, jars, and a mishmash of other props on shelves. Our prowler then stumbles upon the cryogenic freezer, opens it, and when the alarm goes to the lab, 
goes off. The guy grabs the fire extinguisher. Property of Dr. Kent. Do not remove. Warning and all runs off. The crook makes his way down the highway where he is coincidentally gunned down after he draws his gun and fires on two policemen in a van. During the firefight, the extinguisher is punctured and the escaping alien, via his purple cloud form, enters one of the cops. The unaffected officer announces he's going to call this in, but then he's told, no you won't, by a shotgun-wielding partner who shoots him dead. In his office, Professor Peterson attempts to take a blood sample from Superboy in order to determine what he's made of. When the needle breaks after pressure of any kind on Superboy's skin, Superboy tells the professor that he's... Oh. I tried to tell you, Professor, it's the way I am. The term is invulnerable. But if I don't get some kind of sample, we'll never determine what you're made of. Do you remember those meteor fragments I had a while back? The ones you threw into outer space? How could I forget? Every time I got near them, I felt like I was dying. Well... Before we disposed of them, I managed to isolate some of the unique radiation that proved to be so, so deadly to you. Now, hold it right there. This is going to hurt, isn't it? It might. Wait. Ah, ah, don't move. Don't, don't touch ah. it. I guess it worked. <laughs> I think that's a fair assumption. I want to thank you, Professor. I mean, there aren't many people someone like me can turn to. There aren't any people like you, Superboy, period. I think I'll have a result for you by tomorrow. Thanks, Professor. Just after the hero leaves, Peterson gets a telephone call telling him about the lab break-in. Detective Harris, via radio, alerts other officers to the situation involving Sergeant Johnson, the officer at large, and, Will and Lieutenant Williams, in critical condition after being shot with Johnson's gun. Harris warns that due to the high-tech nature of the weapon stolen from the SWAT van, the officers were in charge of, Johnson should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. During his communication, we are shown Johnson, who has gone through the weapons in the van and discarded what he doesn't need, driving off. Meanwhile, in the press offices of the Schuster Herald, Dean Lockhart chastises TJ for not having the contact sheets she'd asked for. White! TJ White! Where are those contact sheets I asked for? Get it together, kiddo. We've got a paper to put to bed. You want him to get some photos of that robbery mess down at the uh, science laboratory? I'd like to see them. Well, I don't have them. Before I can get started on that, you wanted a checklist of all the camera and darkroom equipment. So where are those contact sheets I asked for? Get it together, kiddo. We've got a paper to put to bed. I'm doing the best I can, Dean Lockhart. Do better. I should have stayed with my first ambition, stand-up comedian. Did you say something, T.J. White? No. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I just... I, I, I just said that... 
I'll get everything back on track as soon as Clark shows up. Clark? Clark Kent? Did you need to see me, Dean Lockhart? Mr. Kent. The alumni board has brought me in to run the Schuster Herald as if it were a real newspaper. That means that we show up on time. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. Editorially speaking, on the other hand, I was quite impressed with the work that the two of you turned out on the paper. Particularly, your reporting, Clark. Thank you, ma'am. Now, you two are due at the Agriculture Research Center. I know that doesn't sound like much of an assignment, but a good reporter will always come up with a good angle. So, get going. On his way to the college, the alien, still within Johnson, grabs two students by their throats and demands they tell him where Clark Kent is. The students tell him where Clark's dorm is, and he throws them to the ground, sparing their lives, and walks off. At the dorm hall, Lana ushers Jonathan Kent into Clark's room. Clark would have been here himself, Mr. Kent, but he's on an assignment over at the Agricultural Center, uh-huh. and he thought you might want to meet him there. Oh, I'd like that. That'll give me a chance to look around. You know, they're doing some interesting experimental work with that frost-resistant grain. Yeah? Yeah. How's everyone in Smallville? Well, everybody's just fine, and they and they all send their love. I hope I can get back there soon. I hope you can, too. Well, I'm going to go gas up the Jeep, and I'll meet you out in the parking lot in about ten minutes. Okay. Great. find him. Where is he? Is he in some sort of trouble, officer? I must find him. Where is he? Well, he's not here. I'll be seeing him in a little bit. Is there something you'd like me to pass on? I'll pass it on personally. Where is he? I don't like the tone of your voice, mister. If you've got a legal paper, I'll cooperate. If not, then you back off. And surprisingly, the officer backs away and leaves. On the way to the center, Lana and Jonathan pass through a police checkpoint on the lookout for Johnson, Lana's jeep is waved through, but the f- but following them at a slight distance. The alien speeds up the SWAT van and fires at the top of the cop man in the checkpoint, killing him. Arriving at the center moments before the alien, Jonathan embraces Clark, overjoyed to see his son. Uh, looks like college agrees with you, son. <laughs> How's Ma? She took a nasty fall. She didn't break any bones or anything, but it sure slows her down quite a bit. She wouldn't hear me staying home with her. No, she said, I've been looking forward to this trip too long. She's not in any pain, is she, Pa? No, the only pain she's in is that she can't be here with us. I'll tell you, I miss her. I miss both of you. Hey, stop that kind of dog, or I'll start blubbering like a newborn calf. Pa says, when do newborn calves blubber? Well, I don't know. It's something I just made up, that's all. <laughs> Upon arriving, the alien scopes out Clark and removes a rifle and rocket launcher from the van. Within moments, the alien uses the rifle apparently to make sure Clark is really a superboy. Clark covers the bullet hole in his shirt, pushes his father to the ground, and announces that everyone should get down because he's a sniper. Johnson the alien next fires a rocket at Clark, in the, and in the ensuing explosion, Superboy stands tall. Superboy takes off, flying toward Johnson's position, but the alien knocks him out of the air with another rocket blast. Supes crashes into the SWAT van in obvious pain, and the alien advances as several police cars arrive on scene. 
Harris and company take aim at Johnson, ordering him to drop his weapons. The alien, however, fires one last rocket at the van, where Superboy cringes, still not recovered from the second attack, and the van explodes, sending Superboy to the ground. The police open fire, killing Sergeant Johnson and unknowingly releasing the alien from his body. The alien cloud immediately tries to enter Superboy through the hero's ear and then his chest, but is unsuccessful. Jonathan, concerned for Clark and not thinking clearly, runs over to the fallen Superboy and caresses his face. Get away! I said get away! I'm a doctor. Let me help. Stand up. The professor leads him off toward his office. Jonathan winks at Superboy, seeming to say that was a close one. Where's Clark? I haven't seen him since the shooting started. Not to worry, TJ. I saw him. He'll be all right. And then we're shown an angle above his head, where we hear the alien entity growling toward Mr. Kent. Well, glad to see you on your feet, Superboy. You up to a few questions? I don't want to delay getting him to my office to check him out. You kidding? Check out Superboy? He was unconscious, Lieutenant. Why take chances? I'm sure your questions can wait. Mr. Kent? Do you think he's going to be all right? Superboy can take care of himself. Why don't you let me take care of you? <laughs> to be continued, and we fade black. All right, so... This wasn't a bad start to this episode. It was written clearly written as two parts, and it's paced out well enough that you know it's going to cover two parts. I don't remember off the top of my head if the title card said Revenge of the Alien Part 1. So if it did, at least you know this is going to be a two-parter. If not, you're kind of uh, probably wondering why the episode is moving so slow in what you know is a half-hour show. Shows back then started every... This show would have started on the on the hour, so or half-hour, depending on run times, but... Bottom line is, you know when you're watching a show that you're running out of time. So, I wonder if uh, the viewers already knew ahead of time that this is going to be a two-parter. So basically, this episode starts by reminding us of what happened during the Alien Solution episode. So, you already know right off the bat that it's going to pick up the plot from there. And right off the bat, it looks like uh, this robbery is going to lead to the alien being released. And uh, there it is in the container, sitting in the cooler, right where Clark left it. Amazingly uh, untouched since Clark left it there a few episodes ago. And it kind of makes me wonder, is there a Dr. Kent on campus? You would think if somebody went into the cryogenic freezer and saw something for Dr. Kent and they knew there was no Dr. Kent on the uh, faculty, you would think that they would have gotten rid of it. But nope, it is still there exactly where Clark left it. So I almost wonder, maybe they don't do a whole lot of uh, cryogenics work at Schuster. And, you know, the robber there, I wonder why he thought the fire extinguisher would be useful to him anyway, but he takes it and... We have a brief shootout with the uh, criminal and the cops, and these cops look more like hunters than uh, officers of the law, but surprise, surprise, 
the extinguisher is shot, and out comes the alien. And in our next scene, uh, Professor Peters in from the Kryptonite episode. He was is trying to give Superboy a shot, and uh, of course, it ruptures. So, Professor Peterson was was introduced in the episode Kryptonite Kills, also written by Carlin and Helfer. So you can see a bit of continuity forming between these episodes. The needle breaks on Superboy's skin. So at first, I thought that it was Clark getting the shot, but when the camera zooms out, it is actually Superboy. And some further continuity from Kryptonite Kills beyond just Professor Peterson is that he uses the Kryptonite Ray to get the skin sample of Superboy. So obviously, we got a Chekhov's Kryptonite Ray gun here, and uh, that's going to come into play in Part 2, and it's going to come into play in a very big way. So right here, setting up everything that's going to be it's going to come into play in the second part. So I kind of like this. Uh, it may not be the greatest story in the world, but Carlin and Helfer are doing a pretty good job crafting it. I won't lie that it was amusing to watch uh, the professor keep turning up the ray until Superboy was finally hurt. So now we go to the Schuster Herald office, and this is the most people I've ever seen in at the Schuster Herald at one time. Usually, usually it's just Clark and TJ, and you know, once in a while maybe Lana shows up. And uh, here's uh, the dean. This is June Lock. This is the dean Lockhart begging for contact sheets. Uh, she must be the uh, faculty ad- advisor or something. Uh, usually, student newspapers are run by students with just kind of an advisor looking on to make sure you don't do anything dumb. It's at least at the school paper I worked at. It was very weird for the faculty advisor to uh, actually run the paper, but I guess she is running in the paper, and she is. Oh, not Dean Lockhart, Lockwood. And uh, she is uh, getting on Clark for being late, but apparently she is uh, impressed with Clark's work and seems to be coming on to him, which I thought was uh, kind of inappropriate. So uh, Clark and TJ are getting a crap assignment, and the Dean gives uh, the whole uh, clap crap about good reporters getting good angles. Uh, You know, you can be the greatest reporter in the world. Some stories are just crap. Not every assignment is created equal. Trust me, I know. Meanwhile, we have... uh, the investigation ongoing into the dead cop and uh, th- these two students run into the uh, possessed uh, cop. This is Johnson. And uh, he's looking for Clark Kent. And for those of you who don't remember or didn't realize <laughs> from the Alien Solution episode, the alien knows Superboy's identity. So, so far, the story is developing very slowly, obviously written for two parts. And then Jonathan Kent kind of drops in and nobody's home in Clark's dorm. I kind of wonder if uh, Clark knew his pa was coming. If he did, it would have uh, behooved him to you know, maybe be at his dorm room when his father was arriving. So, you gotta knock on Clark's dorm room, and here's the alien in the in its possessed cop, and he, here's Pa Cannon. Jonathan is uh, properly defending his son. He is uh, demanding a legal paper from the cop, and uh, the alien does back down. Obviously, the alien is smart enough not to uh, make a mess of bodies on a college campus. And I like how Pa is uh, respectful of the officer at first, and def- defends his son when he realizes that something is not right about this cop. He's not just going to give information to this uh, cop just because he demands it. You know, if Clark is in some kind of trouble, he wants to make sure whatever rights Clark may have are protected, and he wants to see some paperwork. Now, I'm not sure I've ever seen police respond to the scene in a freight van. Those types of vans are normally used for prison transports, but I guess this is uh, what the show could afford. So Clark is covering one hell of a story here at the Agricultural Center, and and it looks like uh, several plot lines are going to converge right here. We have Jonathan uh, and Lana coming over to the Agricultural Center. The alien is finding Clark, and it's coming to the Agricultural Center. Clark and TJ are already there. And 
We here get our answer really quick about why Martha's not there either. Apparently, uh, she took a fall and uh, couldn't travel. Sent Pa on without her. I wonder if that was originally planned or if there was some reason that uh, Salome Jens was not available. You know, the Kents are almost kind of treated as one entity. Ma and Pa Kent. You don't. You very rarely see uh, them apart unless there is a reason for them to be so. Although, on the other hand, I'm not necessarily sure what role Ma Kent, Martha Kent would have played in this episode either. She might have just gotten in the way. And this conversation acts as though they haven't seen each other since Clark left for college. But if these episodes, obviously, this is very suspect since episode 5, Countdown to Nowhere, was really the first appearance of Superboy. But if everything else was in order, Clark was home during the Troubled Waters episode. So continuity between this and stuff Carlin and Helfer didn't write is kind of suspect. So Clark randomly gets shot when he notices uh, what's going on with his X-ray vision. He just kind of shoves his father to the ground. Boy, does that look painful. I mean, obviously he's worried about what's going on, but he gives his father quite the shove. Lucky he didn't hurt him. And uh, when the gun didn't have that much of a effect on Superboy, that much of an effect on Clark, well, the alien doubles down with a bazooka. And when the explosion clears, Clark stands there in his full Superboy glory. I really like that transition. And then we find out just how powerful this bazooka really is when it's apparently able to blow Superboy back. Must be an it, and I don't think it's an alien weapon because it was in the SWAT van, so I don't know. Definitely setting up through earlier episodes that this Superboy is not as powerful as he would later become as Superman. And uh, the actor playing the possessed cop must think he's a Terminator or something with the way he's uh, moving his head very slowly. The uh, director is uh, focusing on his eyes and he's moving his head in a very uh, robotic scanning uh, type motion. It really reminded me of the way... uh, the camera would zoom in on Arnold Schwarzenegger's eyes as he looks around. I'm not sure if that's what they're going for, but that's what it looked like to me. And I'm referring to the first movie. The uh, When this episode came out, the second movie was still two plus years away. So now uh, the alien blows the van and knocks Superboy out with the uh, bazooka. And now this is interesting. The alien cannot possess Superboy. Probably due to his own invulnerability. I guess uh, poorly done special effects cannot penetrate Superboy's body. And that tells me right away that at some point, Professor Peterson's kryptonite ray is going to come into play. So I like here how Pa is worried over Superboy. Secret identity be damned. He's worried about his son, and uh, rightly so. I would imagine it would be very hard for somebody to protect the secret identity when they are worried about their well-being in in this moment. So eventually, Professor Peterson uh, convinces Jonathan to let him look at Superboy. Peterson also very overprotective over him, and he doesn't even let Harris ask him any questions. And I like Harris's confusion about Superboy needing to get checked out. I mean, this kid is the most powerful thing uh, Harris has ever seen. He's never seen anything hurt Superboy, so I love his confusion that, huh, he needs to get checked out? Why? He's, he's Superboy. He's fine. Uh, no, uh, nope, he's apparently not that fine. Uh, he was unconscious for uh, a minute, and uh, Peterson is uh, rightly concerned. And this is really the first time we've seen anything hurt him that wasn't kryptonite. I mean, we saw him get beat down a little bit on during the... Uh, fight an alien solution, but I don't think that he was hurt, really, that badly. And uh, Harris was not around for the first alien incident, so he didn't see those festivities when they happened. So Peterson is taking Superboy and the alien is going to uh, possess Jonathan, and Jonathan makes this creepy comment to Lana, let me take care of you, and she walks off of him. You know, I know, you know, lifetime and trust and all, but you would think that's not how Jonathan Kent acts. So, To be continued.
that was a good start to the episode. Like decent cliffhanger. I mean, we we've seen that the alien went into Pa Ken, so I mean, it's not even much of a cliffhanger, really. It's just the end of that portion of the story, because all we, I mean, there are no dire straits at the moment, except with the exception of maybe Pa Kent, but we just end with Pa possessed and Superboy walking off. It's not like Superboy's lying down on the ground unconscious and we uh, go to to be continued. That probably would have been a better cliffhanger, but that's not exactly what happened. So now on the other side of the podcast promo break, I will take a look at Revenge of the Alien. Part 2. Hang around, folks. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run, plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. Alright, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with Revenge of the Alien, Part 2. Original broadcast date was February 11th, 1989. This episode was directed by Peter Peter Kewitt. I'm surprised it's not the same director as the first part, but it's not for whatever reason. I mean, we saw Jackie Cooper and Colin Shilvers direct uh, several episodes in a row. I'm surprised they didn't try to bring the same director back. Writers again were Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast is a little bit shorter for this time. George Akiris as Professor Peterson. Jerome Eden as the newscaster. Dana Mark as Dean Lockhart. Roger Preto as Lieutenant Harris. Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, and Tanya Roberts as the college student. I'll pay a little more attention to what to this college student role, see if I see the same woman uh, showing up every episode. Because she's there a lot. Although, even though she's uncredited. At least IMDB says she's there, so I'll have to keep a better look. So, our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Part 2 opens in Dr. Peterson's office, where... Amazing. I mean, there were enough explosives in that Vandertoppler building. But you seem to check out just fine. I mean, from what I can tell. I mean, even x-rays can't penetrate your skin. I feel fine, Professor. Really, there's nothing to worry about. You may be feeling no ill effects now, but you did black out. Yes, I did for a second or two. More like a minute. The point is you're not completely impervious to physical trauma. Now take this laser. It's powered by green space rocks that emit a radiation, harmless to us, but deadly to you. Now, why? I mean, what is the link between you and an unknown green element? And this morning, you survived the immense heat of a major explosion unscathed. Now, what if it had been the heat of a a 50 megaton hydrogen bomb? And then there's cold. Could you withstand temperatures approaching absolute zero? Beats me, Professor. Sorry. Uh, Well, these are areas we need to explore. So I thought we might go down to the lab. I'm sorry, Professor. I'm going to have to take a rain check. So now Dean Lockhart is introduced to Jonathan, who is acting out of character due to his possession by the alien. Can I help you? Oh, Mrs. Lockhart, this is Mr. Kent, Clark's father. Mrs. Lockhart, Clark has told me a lot about you. Your son is one of our most 
promising students, Mr. Kent, with the proper training and guidance, I believe he'll have a very bright future ahead of him in journalism. I don't give a damn what kind of training he gets. His ma and I, we've been trying to talk that bum into work in the farm. Well, building character is a big part of what these four years are supposed to be all about. I hope one day your expectations of your son will match ours. Now, if you'll excuse me. Clark! Clark, where have you been? Where have you been? I've been looking for you guys all day. Your dad has been really sick about you. Lana, come on. I'm telling you, he hasn't been himself. Hey, Paul. Son. Oh, Clark, I'll expect that right up on Superboy and the Sniper by tomorrow. Okay. Superboy ought to turn in his cape. <laughs> what do you mean, Paul? He survived the explosion. The policeman didn't. The, the, the policeman was shooting at Superboy. He blew himself up when he blew up the van. Everyone saw that. That doesn't matter. No, it seems to me that Superboy is supposed to preserve human life at all costs. Isn't that the way you always heard it was, Clark? Anything you say, Paul? Well, then, write the damn thing up any way you want, son. I mean, these days, people only believe half of what they read anyway. Are you feeling all right, Mr. Kent? I've got a headache that seems to be encroaching on me slowly. Paul, let me take you back to the dorm. That's not necessary. Anna got me here, she can take me back. If that's what you want, it's fine. Really no problem. It's on my way. And uh, I'll see you later. Detective Harris asks Clark to send for Superboy, to send Superboy his way when he next sees him, and almost immediately, Clark changes to Superboy and catches up with the detective on the way out. Harris, I wanted to talk to you about this morning. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was just looking for you. Look, Sergeant Johnson, the SWAT officer who tore up the uh, agriculture show, any reason why he tried to blow you to bits? I haven't got a clue. Makes two of us. I can't get any of this that up. I knew Johnson. It was straight as an arrow, not a head case. I must be missing something. Something must have happened last night when Johnson and his partner came across a break-in at the cryogenics lab. Cryogenics lab, there was a break-in? Yeah. Do you know what was taken? Some vials, box of hypos, different things. What is it? What's wrong? I hope it's not what I think. And he goes to check on his freezer deposit, discovering his worst fear. The extinguisher containing the alien is gone. Meanwhile, Pa, Kent, and Lana are driving toward the dorms, when Pa tells Lana to turn right up ahead. Lana tells him if they turn right, they're only heading back into the woods, but Pa insists that he has a surprise for Clark back there. When Lana is forced to pull off the road and make a break for it, Pa tackles her and drags her into the woods. Clark heads back to the dorm to find TJ. TJ and friends are watching the news where Clark sees his father on the roof having taken Lana hostage, waiting to see Superboy. Clark calls Dr. Peterson as Superboy and tells the doctor needs his help and then flies off to the standoff where the alien has strapped enough C4 to the Pa's body to destroy the entire building, killing everyone but Superboy. Superboy! Careful, Lana. You be careful, Superboy. I know your powers. But you can't use your heat vision here. It'll trigger off the detonator. He's rigged himself with enough C4 to blow this roof off. You'll be the only one here to get out alive. It won't happen. Look, I know who you are. 
I know what you want. Do you know that I want to kill you too? And I want you watching the That'll be my revenge, my sweet revenge indeed. When I leave this mortal shell, I'm gonna plague you body after body forever. Goodbye, Silverboy. Wait. What you want more than revenge is me. I'll trade you my body for theirs. I tried to get into your body. I couldn't. I can let you in. You couldn't? Your nobility is so sickening. I accept. Release her. Don't do it. Now. Not here. My senses tell me the body you're in is weak. His heart is palpitating, his blood pressure is high. Yes. The human body is so frail. He needs medical attention. A doctor I know will see that he gets it. No trick, Superboy, or he dies. I will let you in. I give you my word. I know you'll keep your promise. This true man takes such a pride in his virtuous ideals. Once at the lab, the alien exits Pa's body, and Superboy, true to his word, lets the alien enter him. Unlike other hosts, however, Superboy is able to fight against the alien's control once the being is inside him, and he tells Peterson to activate the laser, thereby weakening him. The alien regains control, attacking the doctor and demanding he shut off the laser. When Peterson refuses, Superboy grapples with him, and the alien growing angrier by the second. Once Peterson is knocked unconscious, Pa Kent takes over and pummels Superboy's body until Clark regains control. Clark tells his father to drag him into a nearby cryogenic freezer where, once inside, Clark releases the alien who was begging to be released, only to see its gaseous form freeze solid and shatter to bits. The professor pulls Superboy from the freezer and tells Jonathan the radiation poisoning seems to be subsiding. The final scene is Pa Kent walking with Lana. Clark told me about my odd behavior. Oh, everyone knows it wasn't you. Hmm. There's a lapse in my memory, and that's what's disturbing. Alana... When I was alone with you, did I, uh, or did I do anything that wasn't proper? <sighs> Mr. Kent, you could never do anything that wasn't decent or upfront. Huh? We better start. Thanks, Lana. Thank you. See you soon. And you keep an eye on my boy. I will. Bye. TJ, nice meeting. Yeah. We gotta stop having these long conversations, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Have a safe trip back. You know when all the action's going down and we're right in the middle of it wondering where Clark is? Well, this time at least I know exactly where he was. Safe and sound in his dorm room, worrying about his father. I wonder if he had a chance to thank Superboy. You really have to go so soon? Oh, I don't think my heart could take it any longer. Boy, it's been one hell of a trip, I'll tell you. <laughs> I never expected when I first got here that I'd be accused of being a terrorist. Good thing it didn't take Superboy long to straighten things out with Lieutenant Harris. And to do the same for Sergeant Johnson. He's a nice fellow, that Harris. So is Professor Peterson. I didn't take to him at first, but after a while, he, he kind of grew on me. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you were around when I needed you. I'm not used to others doing the rescuing. Yeah, well, that's what parents are for, son. <laughs>
So there's not really as much to chew on in this second part. This is basically just really the resolution to the first part. So not nearly as many notes to take this time around. <clears throat> I mean, when you're doing a an analysis like this, the resolution is never nearly as interesting as the setup sometimes. And I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that this was a great cap off to the episode. I mean, the way this is resolved is basically is set up in every previous appearance of the alien. So I guess here we go. Let's uh, get to this uh, second part, shall we? Obviously, we start with Superboy getting checked out and uh, Professor Peterson is uh, concerned that Superboy was unconscious for over a minute. Superboy, however, is not. You know, maybe that's useful. I mean, he's already invulnerable. Just adds a typical useful uh, sense of invulnerability to that. And you've got a kid that doesn't necessarily think anything can hurt him. And this is really the first time something other than Kryptonite has taken him down a peg. And he still doesn't really know what Kryptonite is. And I promised that uh, when I did my coverage of the Kryptonite Kills episode that I would kind of keep track of what they're calling the Space Rocks. And so far, they're Space Rocks. The word Kryptonite has not shown up yet. And I don't know for certain. I'm not sure whether the word Kryptonite ever shows up. It shouldn't. Because Superboy will not find out where he's from until the final episode of the series. Uh, the two-part Rite of Passage episode, which I'm really looking forward to when, when we get to that. So, Peterson is kind of uh, thinking out loud a little bit, wondering uh, what Superboy could uh, withstand. I mean, Superboy at this point doesn't really know the full extent of his powers, and right now he's uh, not particularly interested, and anyone who's paying attention to the story kind of knows that, uh, or pays attention to storytelling, knows that the Kryptonite machine is going to come into play later. So, we have more out-of-character behavior from Jonathan here, who's being an asshole to the Dean. Much to uh, Lana's surprise, and he's acting like he expects Clark to stay on the farm, which is not something anyone associates with the Kents. The Kents' kind of whole purpose is to uh, have Clark uh, use his abilities uh, in the cause of good, and uh, not staying on the farm for all of his life. And uh, Lana has uh, noticed something off about Jonathan, but she's talking enough to worry. No one really knows that the alien is kind of out there yet. As we march through part two here. Now Jonathan is berating Clark about Superboy, how Superboy should hang up his cape. And, you know, we know that this is clearly the alien talking. But Clark knows something's right. But his father's, these are words coming out of his father's mouth. And right now he has no reason to not believe this is his father talking. So he looks like someone stuck a knife in his chest. And, you know, rightly so. I mean, Clark's feeling doubly rejected because he won't even let... Clark take him back to the dorm. Lana does that. So, I mean, he's taking an interest in Lana, and this should really be no surprise as the alien is after Superboy, and if you remember the Alien Solution episode, that was his MO in that episode as well. He went after Lana to get to Superboy. Another trope that's going to last as long as the show does. Lana is basically the uh, lowest lane of the show. So Harris shows up looking for Superboy, and now we learn that Johnson, the uh, possessed cop, was straight as an arrow, a stand-up guy, and, uh, and then Superboy learns about the break-in at the cryogenics lab, and uh, if this were a, like a Warner Brothers cartoon, this is when you'd see the light bulb just turn on on top of Superboy's head. You even see the look of realization on his face. He's like, oh, the break-in at the cryogenics lab? I don't think throughout this he even thought of the alien. Now he is. And how he's only hearing about this now, I don't know, but you would think uh, somebody on campus would have heard about a break-in at the uh, cryogenics lab. But nope, he didn't hear about it, and uh, sure enough, the fire extinguisher that he hid the alien in is gone, so now he knows his uh, purple gaseous enemy is now on the loose. 
And Superboy even asked what was taken. And I was halfway expecting Harris to mention the fire extinguisher, but then I guess we wouldn't have had the shot of Superboy checking for it. And there's a little bit of worry on his face. Like I mentioned uh, in the last segment when I talked about the thing being moved in the first place, I'm really surprised that it was in the same spot in the, in the freezer. So Lana is driving Jonathan back to the dorm when he tells her to uh, drive into a service road and attacks her. We learn that he wants revenge. And I think Lana is uh, finally putting the pieces together here. So now I figured Superboy would have gone looking, but nope. He's back at his dorm. And what do you know? Everybody's sitting around his dorm room watching Clark's father on TV holding Lana hostage. And the TJ is uh, trying to be a good friend to be there for Clark. And Clark kicks him the hell out because Clark really needs to leave so he can become Superboy. So then he calls uh, Professor Peterson because any kind of physical altercations off the table, one, because the alien is occupying Jonathan Kent, the second, because he's wearing a suicide vest, and thirdly, Lana's with him. So this does not leave uh, Superboy with a ton of options. And the option he chooses is offering to let the alien into his body to save Lana. However, this is kind of a two-part payment here, because his father is still being held hostage, being possessed by the alien, so Superboy takes the vest, and they go to Professor Peterson's lab. And you would think the alien would be a little bit smarter than this because he's basically letting Superboy dictate the terms of the deal. Never once does he sense a trap here. I just call the alien he. I don't know if it's a he or what, a nit or or what, but I guess I'm calling it he because it's in Jonathan Kent's body. So Superboy and uh, Peterson have discussed their plan prior to Superboy showing up. I like the fact that we don't know what it is, but, you know, there is one. And uh, so the first thing the alien does is crush the fire extinguisher and it doesn't want to get trapped in that thing again. So apparently we're seeing here that Superboy is strong enough of will that he can fight the alien somewhat. And, and Peterson is using the kryptonite to weaken Superboy. Here I am, I'm calling it kryptonite, and uh, the show is calling it space rock. So maybe, I don't know, just weird for me to call what I know to be kryptonite space rock. But this is what it is. And now we're going to have a sequence of Superboy kind of fighting himself somewhat. And being that the alien is getting tired of Superboy's uh, shenanigans trying to keep his body, and... I do like uh, Superboy's logic is uh, that, yeah, I did tell you that I'd let you into my body. I didn't tell you I'd let you stay, which was a nice touch. The alien apparently didn't think of that. But I guess it never occurred to the alien that Superboy could actually kick him out. If you remember from the uh, Alien Solution episode, the body that the alien possessed to fight Superboy was dead. So there was no higher brain function from which to fight it. It just drove the body. Right now, the alien and Superboy are both fighting for supremacy in the body, and for a time, it looks as though Superboy's winning. But eventually, the alien takes control, and uh, he's now u- using his uh, Superboy's body to strangle Pa, because wh- how else would he get Superboy to stop fighting? Maybe by threatening to kill his father. And now, here's an interesting sequence of a fist fight between Pa Kent and Superboy, and I like this uh, rough-and-tumble Jonathan Kent, who isn't afraid to uh, mix it up. He's getting right in here, and uh, he's willing to beat on Superboy to get the alien out. Could you imagine Eddie Jones doing this? <laughs> maybe I can see Glenn Ford or uh, John Schneider. Hell, maybe even Kevin Costner doing this, but not Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones would be like, yeah, I have a piece of pie. I'm hungry. But yeah, he's not afraid. He's mixing it up. So I like that. So Superboy is willing to die to kick the alien out of his body. You know, noble sacrifice, something... Superboy or Superman would do in any situation. And the solution is to eventually put Superboy and the alien in the icebox, which and the cold are rendered inert. 
So that must have been the plan all along. They got Superboy into the freezer, and when the alien left his body, they quote-unquote killed it by letting it freeze, and then it just kind of falls to the ground and shatters. So, a well-conceived plan. Superboy could not win this battle with his fist. He had to think his way through, and with the help of Professor Peterson, he did just that. So, I do like the uh, solution to the alien problem here. I mean, yes, he fr- he used the same method to uh, defeat it as he did in the alien solution, but honestly, I don't know necessarily what other solution there was. So, now we have the rest of the episode to kind of wrap things up. Jonathan is apologizing profusely for whatever he uh, may have done to Lana while he was possessed by the alien. Uh, dragging her out to the woods and uh, beat the crap out of her comes to mind. Lana doesn't say anything about it because Jonathan does not remember. And I'm not even sure how long Jonathan was around. Here we are at the end of the episode. He's going home. You know, sometimes uh, TV and film can be a little difficult uh, to tell the passage of time. But maybe it's been a day or two. I really don't know. And I mean, it would seem silly if Jonathan Ken came and went on the same day. Smallville's in Kansas, and uh, Clark is clearly in Florida. Not exactly a trip around the corner. So, I liked how this resolved itself. I really enjoyed seeing Pa Kent factor to the climax and do more than just being a farmer. You know, it's not a bad two-parter, and again, I really like the linkage between the now four Carl and Heft Helfer episodes. Very much like how a post-crisis comic book would have applied its craft. But, that's all I've got on this one. Next time, episodes 15 and 16, stand up and knock down and meet Mr. Mixius Pitalek. Till then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, they're original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man Screen Podcast.